0: You're listening to Book Insights, brought to you by Memoed, finding and simplifying the world's most powerful ideas to fit into your lifestyle. Each episode is a deep dive into a nonfiction bestseller that can change your life or make you think. In around 30 minutes, you'll learn all about a book that offers wisdom for your life, career, or business. So get ready to live and work smarter, better, and happier with Book Insights. When did you last allow
1: yourself to sit through a moment of pain without finding a quick distraction? Maybe an Instagram story, a YouTube video, or a household errand? Most of us spend our entire lives running away from pain and vulnerability. There's a reason that the first stage of grief is denial. In her global bestseller, Daring Greatly, How the Courage to be Vulnerable Transforms the Way We Live, Love, Parent, and Lead, Brene Brown argues that we have to face our pain, show up, and be ready to experience vulnerability because this is what opens the door to true courage. We can't wait for the perfect moment before we take risks. That moment doesn't exist. Above all, we must reframe vulnerability as a strength, not a weakness. Who is Brown and why should you trust her? Brown's ideas in the book are based on her research using grounded theory, a methodology developed in the 1960s by the sociologists Barney Glaser and Anselm Strauss. Essentially, ground theory is an inductive research approach that focuses on qualitative data first, then on what conclusions can be drawn, as opposed to using data to prove an initial hypothesis. Ground theory forms the basis for her five New York Times bestsellers, including Rising Strong and Dare to Lead. Her TED Talk on the power of vulnerability has had over 35 million views. In this book Insight, we'll break down Daring Greatly into four points. One, Brene Brown's personal journey and the birth of Daring Greatly. Brown recounts her struggles with vulnerability and how she came to study this topic. Two, vulnerability and its enemies. Examining and demystifying vulnerability and the problems of shame and scarcity two bottlenecks people face when processing vulnerability. Three, how shame works. Dissecting the complex emotion of shame and how its many mechanisms prevent people from engaging with vulnerability. Four, vulnerability in society. Exploring how shame and the ability to be vulnerable shape groups and communities and how individuals can help develop a more compassionate society. We'll conclude by looking at any potential criticisms of Brown and Daring Greatly, as well as the wider impact of her work. We'll start with Brown's personal journey and the birth of Daring Greatly. In her late 20s, Brown gave up her corporate career to study social work because of her desire to reform people and societies. Near the completion of her master's degree, she realized it wasn't that simple. Social work demanded being comfortable with difficult mental states. While interviewing her research participants, she realized that the key issues for people, the feelings that hindered human connection, were heartbreak and shame. They trap you into feeling that you don't deserve to form strong bonds with other humans. The discovery led to her current career as a shame and empathy researcher. Brown's data showed that life is meaningless without vulnerability. It is the backbone of a well-lived life. Her own big brush with vulnerability came when she was invited to give a talk on the subject at a TEDx event in Houston in 2010. She was anxious about its outcome and reception. What if sharing my own journey of vulnerability actually adversely affects my career, she wondered to herself. In academia, researchers are advised to maintain a healthy distance from their research topic. Nevertheless, she overcame her fears and delivered the talk. TED.com featured it on the site, and it garnered 5 million hits. She also went on to speak at the 2012 TED event in Long Beach, California, giving her research into shame. The success of that talk eventually led to Daring Greatly. The title is borrowed from a speech known as The Man in the Arena. Former American President Theodore Roosevelt delivered this at a Paris event in 1910. This is how it goes. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, who, at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Brown felt the passage summarized her decade-long research. Vulnerability is not knowing victory or defeat. It's understanding the necessity of both. It's engaging. It's being all in. Many people would agree that the world is becoming increasingly narcissistic propelled by social media sites like Snapchat and Instagram. Brown cites research that shows how popular music has become more narcissistic in the last few decades, with songs featuring more I and me than we and us. But shaming people for being narcissistic doesn't help either, Brown says. We don't fix narcissism by cutting people down to size and reminding folks of their inadequacies and smallness. Shame is more likely to be the cause of these behaviors, not the cure. It's important to view narcissism from the perspective of vulnerability. It stems from a deeply ingrained shame of being ordinary. Unfiltered exposure to celebrity culture and social media can instill this kind of shame in childhood. Our culture is partly responsible for shame. Brown calls it scarcity, the never-enough problem. Because we're constantly flooded with images of perfect bodies and skin and news media and show business, we're always worried we're not thin or attractive enough. And it isn't just face-value cosmetic shame that we feel. We feel that we don't have the right house or job or that our relationships aren't as perfect as other people's and that we aren't parenting the right way. But for Brown, perfect and bulletproof don't exist. These fears are our culture's version of post-traumatic stress. They make us defensive, judgmental, and
2: angry. Here's Brown during her TED Talk. Shame is the gremlin who says uh-uh. You're not good enough. You never finished that MBA. I know your dad really wasn't in Luxembourg. He was in Sing Sing. I know there's things that happened to you growing up. I know you don't think that you're pretty enough or smart enough or talented enough or powerful enough. I know your dad never paid attention, even when you made CFO. Shame is that thing. Brown explains that psychological
1: scarcity has three main elements, shame, comparison, and disengagement. Consider the following questions and whether or not they apply to the society that you live in. 1. Is shame used to fix people? Is there too much emphasis on ambition and achievement? 2. Is there unhealthy competition where people are constantly trying to one up each other? Are people's unique talents not recognized? 3. Is there a culture of silence? Are people afraid to reach out and engage with each other? You probably answered yes at least once. The answer to the scarcity problem is not abundance. It's being enough, what Brown refers to as wholeheartedness. She explains, there are many tenets of wholeheartedness, but at its very core is vulnerability and worthiness, facing uncertainty, exposure, and emotional risks, and knowing that I'm enough. Our collective understanding of vulnerability is clouded by misconceptions. One of the most prevalent is the belief that vulnerability is a weakness. Most people try to fight or bottle up emotions such as sadness, shame, and fear because they want to appear strong. But Brown warns that if you flee from vulnerability, then you flee from life. Vulnerability is the birthplace of love, belonging, joy, courage, empathy, and creativity. Love is the perfect example. It may be scary to wake up next to a lover who may abandon you one day and never return, But if you don't allow yourself to show up to that fear, you can't truly love. In this book insight, we began our dive into Brene Brown's Daring Greatly, how the courage to be vulnerable transforms the way we live, love, parent, and lead. We learned about Brown's background and what drove her to write Daring Greatly. We also learned about the role vulnerability plays in growth. Vulnerability is not weakness. It is the starting point from where we can stop being ashamed of ourselves and embrace wholeheartedness. With wholeheartedness, we can accept vulnerability, uncertainty, and risk. We can begin to feel worthy. Next time, we'll continue our discussion of daring greatly by breaking down how shame works and how to build a resilience against it.
0: Enjoying this episode of Book Insights? If so, keep listening and learning. There's a collection of over a hundred titles you can read or listen to now at memoedapp.com/insights. That's memodap slash insights
1: In the writing of her best-selling book, *Daring Greatly*, Brené Brown's research suggested that it's essential to overcome shame in order to process vulnerability. Shame will always be a part of us, we just have to find a way to engage with it. In this part, we'll continue our look into daring greatly. We'll learn how shame works, how it is different from guilt, and how to build a
2: resilience against it. Here is Brown during her TED Talk. Vulnerability is not weakness. I define vulnerability as emotional risk, exposure, uncertainty. It fuels our daily lives. And I've come to the belief, this is my 12th year doing this research, that vulnerability is our most accurate measurement of courage. To be vulnerable, to let ourselves be seen, to be honest. Brown
1: describes a scene from Harry Potter that captures this quandary of shame and vulnerability. Harry Potter tells Sirius Black that he thinks he's a bad person because he has so many dark feelings. Sirius replies to Harry, We've all got both light and dark inside us. What matters is the part we choose to act on. That's who we really are. If a person needs to share a work of writing or art with the world, they'll be gripped by shame at first because their self-worth is tied to it. What if others rip it apart? Will that devastate me? If they do receive negative feedback, it can destroy their spirit. They think to themselves, because people think my work is bad, I must not be good enough. They might lose the courage to share anything again. Here are four important elements of shame. One, it affects everyone, not just people who've been through traumatic experiences. We all have things we feel ashamed of. Two, people find it hard to talk about this dark emotion. Three, shame thrives in a culture of silence. Four, people are terrified by the idea of discussing shame. In most people, it manifests itself as a fear of disconnection. The line of thinking might be, I have this big flaw and people won't like me for it. Many people confuse shame with guilt, humiliation, and embarrassment. They are different. When you forget to wish your best friend a happy birthday on her 30th, you feel bad for not messaging her. That's guilt. But if you feel you're intrinsically a bad person for forgetting, that's shame. Brown notes that using shame to change people's behavior you're such a bad friend for not sending me good wishes on my birthday, doesn't really work. The other person is more likely to get defensive. I've been so busy, you should understand that, to get away from their actions. When you start to understand how the language of shame works, you begin to develop your ammunition against it. Here's how to develop shame resilience. 1. Learn to identify when shame grips you and also understand the physiological symptoms that accompany it. Two, share your story of shame with a trusted person. Three, be aware of how cultural expectations and messages can pull a shame trigger in you. Four, describe how you feel when you experience shame. One of Brown's research subjects starts uttering pain, pain, pain when she is attacked by shame. It's helpful to acknowledge shame, to say it aloud. When we reach out to people and they offer their empathy, shame is defeated. Empathy and connection are enemies of shame. Most people develop protective mechanisms, what Brown calls armors and masks to shield themselves from their vulnerabilities. We begin to form these armors when we're children. Another shielding mechanism is perfection. Perfection is different from self-improvement. It doesn't make us popular or successful, but can actually script the path to our self-destruction, driving us to engage in unhealthy behaviors. If we believe we can be perfect in some or all aspects of our lives, the payoff is avoiding minimization of the painful feelings of shame, judgment, and blame. As Brown admits, striving for perfect was one of her go-to armors growing up. Numbing is another shield. We have a tendency to try and dull our pain, Keeping unusually busy is one effective way to avoid feelings. Brown laments that we are a culture of people who've bought into the idea that if we stay busy enough, the truth of our lives won't catch up with us. Perhaps you drink alcohol, smoke, or consume large amounts of coffee to deal with the uncomfortable feelings throughout the day, such as shame, anxiety, and disconnection. Instead, we should have the courage to embrace discomfort and pain. If we dull them, we also dull our joyous moments. Brown notes, numb the dark and you numb the light. Brown identifies another shield to vulnerability, the Viking or victim worldview. People who adopt a Viking outlook know about the world's tendency to crush other people. So they try to control and dominate others for their own survival. This kind of mentality is often exhibited in soldiers. For them to be effective in combat zones, They can't really express their emotions and be openly afraid of death and injury. They can't be vulnerable. But this only stores up problems manifesting in post-traumatic stress disorder and even suicide. It means that for soldiers, coming home is more lethal than being in combat. More soldiers took their own lives than were lost in Afghanistan from the point of invasion to the summer of 2009. How we view vulnerability isn't just a soft skill. It can literally be the difference between life and death. Other shields are cynicism, criticism, coolness, and cruelty. If we go out there in the world and show a little bit of vulnerability, a lot of times people will attack us. They will call us uncool. These are the kind of people who are afraid of being vulnerable. So when they see someone else being their authentic self, they become belligerent. One way around this is to develop a supportive community of people who will comfort us when we're attacked. In this part, we learned how shame works. It's the drive to tear yourself down in the face of vulnerability. Fortunately, we all suffer from shame, and by reaching out to those you trust, you can overcome it. We all develop defense mechanisms against shame. Brown calls these our armors or masks, and they can range from perfectionism, to numbness, to aggression. We never need to suffer alone. Next time, we'll conclude the book insight by looking at vulnerability and society. Then we'll wrap up with a brief review and a look at the criticisms at Brown and Daring Greatly.
0: Enjoying this episode of Book Insights? If so, keep listening and learning. There's a collection of over a hundred titles you can read or listen to now at memodapp.com insights. That's M-E-M-O-D, A-P-P.com slash insights. Best-selling
1: author Brene Brown wants to encourage her readers and all the world to let down their
2: walls and accept vulnerability. Shame is an epidemic in our culture. And to get out from underneath it, to find our way back to each other, we have to understand how it affects us and how it affects the way we're parenting, the way we're working, the way we're looking at each other. That was her during her TED Talk.
1: In this final part of the book Insight, we're wrapping up our dive into Brene Brown's Daring Greatly, how the courage to be vulnerable transforms the way we live, love, parent, and lead. We'll discuss vulnerability in society, then conclude with a brief review as well as criticisms into Brown's work. Groups and communities have two kinds of values. First, there's aspirational values, ones that we aim to practice. These define the future us. Second, we have practice values, which are simply ones that the group actually practices. The differences between the two types of values is called the value gap or disengagement divide. Brown gives an example of value gap in a family. Let's assume a set of parents preach to their kids the importance of honesty and integrity. They are constantly told not to steal anything. But when the cashier forgets to charge them for a few items on their list, the mother doesn't bother to go back to him and pay off the extra cost. She dismisses it as the cashier's fault. People can only mind the gap between the two types of values when they face up to their vulnerabilities and overcome shame at work and school, the fear of being ridiculed for their ideas could discourage people from sharing them at all, which creates a disengaged culture lacking in creativity and innovation. Brown defines a leader as anyone who holds her or himself accountable for finding potential in people and process. She encourages leaders to participate in disruptive engagement to foster creativity. By this, she means creating conversations about vulnerability and shame in a public arena which can shine light in dark corners. They're always difficult, but once we start these conversations, we'll develop a facilitating language and awareness and be able to dare greatly. If people are publicly humiliated for mistakes, bullied or harassed, these are telltale signs that shame rules the roost in an organization. A 2010 poll from the Workplace Bullying Institute shows that bullying affects 37% of the workers in the United States. This percolates into the behavior of employees, and it affects how they interact with clients and customers. Blame games and cover-ups are common in organizations where shame has pervaded. Brown suggests the following for infusing organizations with shame resilience. 1. Encourage leaders to have conversations about shame. Two, explore how shame is affecting the organization. Three, train people to face difficult situations that arise in an organizational setup. Four, explain the difference between shame and guilt. It's possible to mind the gap with the help of constructive feedback. But giving proper feedback that propels individuals in an organization is hard. That's because it makes both parties, the one receiving the feedback, as well as the one giving it, Vulnerable. Brown suggests that people should approach giving feedback from a perspective of strength. You tell the other person what their strengths are and areas where they can improve their strengths. Framing the feedback as a conversation around strengths immediately lessens feelings of shame. She uses the sitting next to the table metaphor for giving feedback. When she approached one of her professors because she wasn't happy with her grade on a paper, she had expected a bit of a showdown. But the professor sat next to her at the table and praised her paper. The professor noted she had subtracted some points because of problems in formatting. She urged Brown to improve the formatting and submit the research for publication. So the matter was diffused by focusing on strengths. When it comes to parenting, Brown notes that our ability to belong and love are influenced most by our families. Most parents want to raise children that can fully engage with the world and their vulnerabilities and who will treat others with compassion. If parents don't want children to use shame, judgment, and blame as adults, then the parents need to jettison these elements from their own lives. Whether or not the kids will grow up to be resilient to shame depends a lot on how they are parented. If a child bluffs, they are lying, but that doesn't make them a liar. That's the difference between shame and guilt and it needs to be explained to children. If these conversations are normalized at home, kids become better at navigating shame in the outside world. Brown's data shows that one of the most important gifts parents can give their children is the gift of adversity. Parents can often get caught up in controlling their kids' circumstances, so-called helicopter parenting or tiger parenting, but they should really let them struggle a little bit and face discomfort. If we want our children to develop high levels of hopefulness, she says, we have to let them struggle. In this book Insight, we broke down Brene Brown's Daring Greatly into a few key ideas. First of all, we looked at Brown's personal journey to seeing vulnerability as a strength, not a weakness. Next, we debunked common myths around vulnerability, how perfect and bulletproof don't exist, the scarcity problem and our never enough culture. Then we unpack the various ways in which shame works and how we can start to build up our resilience toward it. Lastly, we learned about aspirational values versus practiced values and the value gap between them. We have to lead by example with empathetic care taking charge. What criticisms, if any, can be leveled at Brown and Daring greatly? One of the most persistent charges is that her investigation wholly neglects deep-seated prejudices that can cause more pervasive and culturally-bound shame, such as that arising from racism, homophobia, transphobia, class differences, disability, and unequal distribution of wealth. Criticisms aside, Daring Greatly is a comprehensive and inspiring overview of Brown's research. Daniel Goleman popularized the term emotional intelligence with the publication of his seminal book, Emotional Intelligence, Why It Can Matter More Than IQ, in 1995. And Daring Greatly is an invaluable addition to that trend. Brown joins the ranks of authors who celebrate mistakes and what we can learn from them. Brown explores concepts related to shame and vulnerability in greater detail in her other books. For example in I thought it was just me, but it isn't. She tackles the world of shame and women. She is particularly outspoken on this issue. For instance, she was fiercely critical of Mayor Bloomberg's 2013 campaign in New York that publicly shamed young girls about teenage pregnancies. Brown's way of describing our masks and armor chimes with the four agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. For both Ruiz and Brown, we are isolated from each other by the very feelings that we have in common shame, and fear. If we are truly open to ourselves and with others, we will be able to live and dare greatly. You must be able to raise your hand and say, I am enough. The Japanese writer Haruki Murakami told The Guardian that all his stories followed this basic truth. You have to go through the darkness, through the underground, before you get to the light.
0: Thank you for listening to Book Insights. Check out the rest of our content at memodap.com. Please keep in mind that the information provided in or through our Book Insights episodes is for educational and informational purposes only. It's not intended to be a substitute for advice given by qualified professionals and should not be relied upon to disregard or delay seeking professional advice.